Hey, welcome to the New Life podcast. We're so glad that you could join us. New Life is one family, many churches, and we're located in Brisbane, Coolangatta, Moreton Bay, and Rabina. And we exist to simply see more people more like Jesus by planting and leading thriving local churches. You've joined us for our series we've titled Foundations, The Apostles' Creed. In a world where truth can feel subjective, the Apostles' Creed offers statements of truth that beckon the heart to respond. So join us as we explore these truths that have sustained historic Christianity amid turbulent times and encounter a God not merely to be believed in, but experienced. We pray this message encourages you as we apprentice to become more like Jesus together. Enjoy the podcast. Well, good morning, church. I hope everyone's doing well this morning. If I've not met you, my name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors here. And I'd really encourage you to jump into Pathways if you've not done it. It's a place where you find out who we are as a church, what are our core values, what are our core beliefs, but also how God's gifted you and purposed you in your life to live out the gospel wherever you're called to. So really encourage you, get on the QR code there, sign up, and come and do it with Ella. She's awesome. She runs a great Pathways. But we're actually starting a new series, a new sermon series on the Apostles' Creed. And we're going to be spending five weeks on the Apostles' Creed leading into Easter. We're actually going to use some of the Apostles' Creed in our Easter service as well for Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. And some of you, you're pumped and stoked that we're teaching into an ancient church creed. And then some of you are sitting here going, what is a creed? I've never heard of the Apostles' Creed. Well, that's what we're going to get into today. That's what I'll be exploring. What is the Apostles' Creed and what significance it has for us as believers in Jesus. So what I want to do is, I want to ask if you're able, if you can stand with me, let's actually recite the Apostles' Creed together as a church. <clears throat> starts with, I believe in Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. So many of you, that's the first time you've heard the creed and you might be looking at some stuff in there going, huh? I don't, I don't understand that. Maybe even the part about the Holy Catholic Church. Now, the Catholic just means that word Catholic there just means universal church, the world church. We're not talking about the denomination there, but we're going to be looking at all of the creed over these next couple of weeks. So we're teaching to all these little different aspects of it. So would you like to take a seat as we get into the message? I'd like to pray. Father God, I just thank you so much, Lord, for your word, which we're, we get the creed from. The truths that we find in your word, we're able to put them down as a statement of our faith, what we believe as Christians, what we believe to be true, what we believe to be true about you. So God, I pray that you would help me preach this message with truth, with grace, and with love, that in the end, God, they wouldn't look to me, they'd only look to you, the one who brings life and life in all its fullness. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, <clears throat> amen. 
Well, just as I was getting into Christianity many, many years ago, I was exploring Christianity before I was, became a Christian. I was looking into Christianity, trying to find out what they believe, and I had a knock on the door from a Jehovah's Witness. Anyone had that? The knock on the door from the Jehovah's Witness. So they came, knocked on my door, and they opened the Bible. So I'm like, oh, they must be Christian. So they start going through the Bible, and they start talking about the fact that Jesus wasn't God, that he was Satan's brother, that we're not saved by grace alone and faith alone in Christ alone, that we actually have to work our way into heaven by good works and only 144,000 people are actually going to make it. And I was like, ah, oh, that's not what I've been looking into. Like, is this Christian? Is it not? And that's what happens here. I was thinking to myself, what do Christians actually believe? And then I went on a journey, obviously, of finding that out. And this is what the creed is addressing. It's addressing the core foundational truths of the Christian faith. So let's start with a bit of history of the creed. Where did it come from? Well, the Apostles' Creed, also known as the 12 Articles of Faith, express essential biblical doctrines that have been articulated and defended and embraced by the early church for nearly 2,000 years of church history. So the precise origins of the Apostles' Creed are shrouded in a little bit of mystery. The earliest written form of the creed is found in a letter from Marsilius, wrote in Greek to Julius, the bishop of Rome, around 341 AD. About 50 years later, Tyrannius, what a name, wrote a commentary on this creed. In it, he, he recounted the viewpoint the apostles wrote this creed together after Pentecost leaving, before they left Jerusalem to go and preach the gospel. But there is no historical or textual evidence that it's actually directly from the apostles. However, the creed does come and have roots in the apostles' teaching and the generations of disciples that followed the apostles in the Peristic area. Now, the Peristic area is the time straight after the apostles in the second century. <clears throat> You'll find abbreviation versions of the creed that can be traced back to the second century. And what that happens is they actually seem to be used as a confession of people's faith before they're baptized. Also, they were used in people's confession before they were martyred. We find records of that. So people would actually profess a abbreviated version of this to say, this is what I believe before they be baptized. And evangelical Christians throughout history have used the Apostles' Creed for proclamation of their own personal faith. But by the 5th century, the Apostles' Creed developed into the form that we have today. And all evangelical Protestant denominations since the Protestant Reformation in 1517 have affirmed the Apostles' Creed without reservation. And as a church, New Life, we also affirm the Apostles' Creed. John Calvin says in his writings on the Institute of Christian Religion, said that the creed furnishes us with a full and every way complete summary of faith containing nothing but what has been derived from the infallible word of God. Now, I need to make a distinction here. The creed is not scripture. The creed is not the infallible word of God. We need to understand there's a difference between the two. We have the scriptures that come from God. They're from God. They're the words of the apostles. They're the words of Jesus. That is scripture. That's what we believe in. But the creed has come from that, as Calvin says, and that's where we get right doctrine out of. We get theology from. Now, theology is just the study of God. But we get this creed from the scriptures. So it's not just pulled out of nowhere. It's not like, oh, I believe this random stuff. It all comes from the Word of God. In 2 Timothy, Paul talks about this. He says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
Notice there that, that the scripture is profitable for doctrine to have understanding of what our beliefs are. Now, doctrine is just right beliefs or true beliefs of the faith. Though not held up as scripture, as John Calvin says, the creed has been derived from scripture and it teaches us right doctrine that's expressed there. And we're meant to actually hold on to that so we be equipped for every good work. We'd be equipped to reprove people or correct people as well who are stray outside of that. Now, why was the creed created? Well, for that very reason, the Apostles' Creed, like a lot of creeds in the Paristic era, were, were brought together, were composed as a direct response to heresy in the defense of the gospel and the Christian faith. It was actually to be used in an apologetic nature. Now, apologetics is defending the faith. They actually would write these down to articulate the essential beliefs of the Christian, the essential beliefs of our faith against heresy. Now, immediately, heresy in that time was a response. This creed was written as a response to Gnosticism. Now, anyone heard of Gnosticism? It was going around the time in the first century, second century of the Christian faith. And Gnosticism, they believed they had this secret knowledge a knowledge that no one else had. It was this revelation that they got. They didn't derive it from Scripture. It was this secret knowledge. And this heresy had come into the church because the Gnostics, they denied, among many other things, the divine creation, that God created everything. They also denied the incarnation of Christ, that Jesus came fully in the flesh. They also deny the deity of Christ, that he was God in the flesh. And they even deny salvation by faith in Christ alone. They said that you had to work for your faith. And you'll notice in this creed, all these false doctrines, they're expressly addressed in the Apostles' Creed. It says God is the creator, that Jesus was born in the flesh, that he is the son of God, that Jesus died and rose again. And it's through him that we have everlasting life, the resurrection of our bodies. And this was to fight heresy. The early church needed a statement of faith that was clear and precise to articulate exactly what we believe to be true and sound doctrine. This is the basis of the formation of the Apostles' Creed. And Paul actually encourages Timothy to fight for sound doctrine in 2 Timothy 4. In the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who would judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to miss. You see, even in the early church, even in the time of Paul and Timothy, there were these false doctrines coming into the church. People coming from the outside, coming in and going, you don't have to follow Jesus. You don't have to do this. And so people were turning away from the truth. Why? Because they had desires for these things, right? They desired to sin. So they start gathering around these people around them. They say, no, it's okay to sin. It's okay to do that. And this is not sound doctrine. So Paul's actually speaking straight into this in the church for Timothy that he was leading. Does that sound like today? It's very similar today. We have all these teachers. The internet's awesome, right? We can get so much teaching of it. But it's also a place of danger because if we just don't want to follow God's word, if we don't want to follow what God says in the Bible, we just go, well, I'll just find someone else who agrees with me. And you know what? You can find anything on the internet. You can find any kind of theology. You can find any reason to go and sin. And it's like we gather these teachers around us so we feel okay that we're actually not walking with God. We're going and sinning and fulfilling our own desires. 
You see, the creed was succinct yet weighty enough to be effective tools for sharing and defending the Christian faith against these heresies for the first few hundred years of the church's existence. But the Apostles' Creed has provided Christians with the key essential doctrines for the past 2,000 years too. So if you want to know if a religion is actually Christian, if they're claiming to be Christian, you can use the Apostles' Creed to work that out. So when I have my Jehovah's Witness friends come now, we have great debates because they pull out their Bible, I pull out my Bible, and where they say that Jesus isn't God, I'm like, what does this say? And they're like, they don't know what to say. And they're like, oh, I don't think we'll come back. And I'm like, yeah, because I'm using the Bible, I'm not using philosophy or these other ideas. But to be able to tell if people are really Christians or a domination is really Christian, you can use the Apostles' Creed. Is this what you believe? You believe that Jesus died for our sins? Do you believe he rose from the dead? So this reminds us of the essentials of our faith that we can actually contend for. So that's some of the history and the reasons why the Apostles' Creed was developed. But today I'm going to explore just the first two words of the Apostles' Creed. I'm just going to look at, I believe. You see, the three main sections of the creed each start with, I believe. And that's what we're going to focus on today, because this is actually the key to all the other statements that follow. If we don't understand the biblical definition of believe, then the rest of the creed is just essentially useless to us. Because if we don't understand what we're declaring, we're just reciting words in. It has no power, it has no meaning. So when the creed starts each section with, I believe, what does that mean to a Christian? Well, it means something way deeper than what we think. You see, in our day and age, to say you believe in something just means this mental assent to a fact, like, I believe we should exercise. It doesn't mean I exercise, I just believe we should, right? How often do we say, I believe we should exercise, I ain't doing it though, right? But when we look at what believe means. You see, in our day and age, we just believe it that way. It's just, it's just this thing that has nothing to do with faith. But biblical belief is much deeper than that. And to explore that, we have to go to the original Greek in the New Testament, that the New Testament is written in, to go and have a look at these words that we see in there. Now, the main reason why is because in the New Testament, belief and faith are used interchangeably. They mean the same thing. It's not just, I believe in this, Belief and faith are the same thing. So believe actually comes from the word pistuo, which means to trust, to be persuaded of the truth, to have confidence. That's a lot more than just believing in something. But that comes from the root word pistis, which is actually faith, which means conviction of truth, trusting again, relating to God, which both of those come from the primary Greek word pytho, which means to believe, to obey, to yield to, to comply with and to trust And have confidence in. You see, in the scriptures, there's no difference between faith and belief in the Bible. The two are used interchangeably. The Gospel of John was written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You know, the Gospel of John doesn't even use the word faith when he talks about this stuff. It's this concept, though, of believing is faith. It's woven throughout his Gospel. So throughout Scripture, there's no real distinction between faith and belief. Now, on the other hand, in our popular English usage, faith often has a deeper meaning than belief. Belief often refers to this intellectual acceptance of facts, right? Like I was talking about before. So if you ask the average person on the street, hey, do you believe in Alexander the Great or Abraham Lincoln? You're probably going to get the same question or same answer is, well, yeah, of course I believe that he existed. 
But faith in the modern usage has this idea of trust and commitment. So many people in Alexander's time, they believed in him, right? They believed he was a person. They believed he existed when he was alive, but many actually had faith in him as well. They trusted that he would protect them, lead them into battle, expand the Greek empire. See, these people, not only did they believe in him, but they were like, I actually trust you. I have faith in you that I'll actually go to war with you. I will go out and expand this empire because I believe in you. You see, there's a difference between believing in him and having faith in him. For example, most people believe it's important to eat food, healthy food, and exercise regularly. But many of us don't do that. Like me, like KFC, or just froth it, you know. We believe it, but we eat and we don't exercise. Or we just believe certain facts about God, which are true, right? Some of these facts about God that we believe, they're, they're true, but we don't have faith in him. To believe and not have faith is this these modern usage of the words. In the same way, we can believe that God is love. People can go, oh yeah, I believe there's a God and I believe God is love. However, they've never actually committed themselves to God. They've never trusted him. They've never had faith or biblical belief in him. We see, R.C. Sproul says, the issue of faith is not so much whether we believe in God, but whether we believe the God we believe in. It's like confusing, right? First time you read it, you're like, huh? I just have to read that about five times and actually contemplate what he is saying. But he's right. Faith's not so much whether we believe in God. Many people believe in God. But do they believe God? Do they have faith and trust in him? Does it change their life? Does it make a difference? You see, biblical faith or biblical belief is never simply giving assent to certain facts. It's trust. It's commitment. It's obedience. And it results in a change of behavior. It results in a change of your life and how you actually live. James talks about this in James 2. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without your deeds. And I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. He's like, hey, even the demons believe and they shudder. They believe that God exists. And the demons, the demons know more about God than we do. But they didn't have faith in him, right? Because they got kicked out of heaven. Satan and all his fallen angels, they all got kicked out of heaven. Why? They believed in him, but they didn't have faith in him. They didn't trust him. They rebelled against him. And unfortunately, many people have the same kind of belief that the demons have. But that's not biblical faith or belief. James says that belief and faith are made complete by action. Or in other words, to put it, is true belief and faith are proved by our actions. We're not saved by our actions by doing good works. But if you're truly saved, you'll naturally bear fruit like that. You'll naturally do good works. Jesus says the same thing in Matthew 7. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. Jesus is saying, hey, do you want to know who true disciples of mine? Do you want to know who true followers of mine? Their fruit will tell you. Like, do you, do you see a, a person producing good fruit or a tree producing good fruit that's made of thistles? No. He's like, you'll know them by their fruit. You'll know by their actions whether they're my disciples or not. You know, when I was working on the wars, I had a, a friend of mine and he found out I was a Christian. And he goes, 
oh, you're a Christian. I'm like, yeah. He goes, oh, me too. I'm like, oh, wow, okay. That slapped me across the face because nothing in your life would say that you're a Christian. Um, that's for sure. I'm like, oh, okay, you're a Christian, cool. I'm like, so um, do you go to church? He's like, nah, I don't go to church. I'm like, oh, okay, um, do you read the Bible? He's like, nah, I don't read the Bible. I'm like, well, do you believe the Bible? Do you believe the stories in the Bible? He's like, nah, nah, not really. I'm like, oh, we're not going good. I'm like, cool, um, what about Jesus? Yeah, yeah, I believe like he was a guy. I'm like, cool, do you believe like he's God? I'm not sure. I'm like, what about that he rose again? Yeah, that one's a hard one. And I'm like, mm, I'm like, bro, it's like you're claiming to be a vegan while eating a big fat steak, right? It's just like, there was no evidence in his life that he believed at all. There was absolutely no allegiance to Jesus or the Bible. And that word allegiance, I think, encapsulates true belief. Theologian Matthew Bates, he argues that faith and belief that aren't aren't always the best terms to translate the Greek words pistis and pisteo in the New Testament. He would say instead, with regards to these words, we better to speak of allegiance to Jesus as king so that faith has this idea of fidelity. So it's not just belief in a fact like I believe that's the color blue that makes no significance in my life. It's the belief in the king of kings, that Jesus is the Lord, that he is the king seated on the throne. And it has this element of allegiance. When I come to him, I submit to him as God. I commit to following him. I commit to obedience to him. And it's this idea of fidelity that, that I submit to him and him alone. No other. That's totally different to our modern understanding of belief, right? But it has a massive significance to us. And Bates rightly explains that biblical belief and faith, it can't be this, this mere intellectual ascent, this leap in the dark, this wishful thinking, Bates prefers allegiance because the word captures loyalty to Jesus as the enthroned king. That's why we see in the apostles' teaching and all the letters they write, this understanding of embodied allegiance to King Jesus. They're always talking about obedience, surrendering to him, submission to him, submission in all areas of our life, mind, body, and spirit. That we are meant to live out our faith in action, and fidelity to the gospel, fidelity to Christ, and trust, a trust that is actually based on the faithfulness of God, not our own, but on the faithfulness of him. We see this all through their teachings. You know, I was watching a documentary on Alexander the Great. I love history. Watching this documentary, and these two generals are having this conversation. Now, Alexander the Great, he's sending them to war, and they're about 10 to 1. There was like 10 times more soldiers on the opposing side, on the Persian side, than there was on the Greek side. And so these two main generals of his army are having a chat. And one of them's like, this is a nightmare, this is a disaster, this isn't going to work. And he's just complaining. And he says to the other general, he goes, what do you think? And the other general goes, doesn't matter what I think. I trust and obey the king. There's just this moment of allegiance, of trust, of faith and belief that actually ends up in action where he's like, where you go, I'm going to go as well. But here's the thing. There's a threat to our belief. Those of us who have faith in God, who have committed to allegiance and submission and obedience to God, there's this constant threat of our allegiance and belief, this constant threat to sound doctrine. And Paul warns the church about this in the Colossians, Colossians chapter 2. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. 
See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition or on the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. Just like the Apostles' Creed was created to battle this heresy, Paul warns the church, don't be led astray by these false doctrines of the world. But hold fast to your belief, your allegiance to the truth that actually has been taught to you. So Paul starts with this allegiance. He says, so then, just as you received Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith that you were taught, overflowing with thankfulness. He doesn't say just as you received him as a good teacher, just as you received him as just a rabbi, just as you received him as just your Lord and Savior so you get a free ticket to heaven. He says, you've received him as Lord, as God Almighty, in the flesh, the king seated on the throne. This is allegiance to this king. That is true belief. He says, in the faith that you were taught, this correct doctrine, these core beliefs that we have, hold on to them. Be rooted in him. Be rooted in Christ, not in this world. Stay rooted in him and the truth. He continues, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition or on the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. He says, don't be deceived by hollow philosophy. How often we get deceived by philosophy? There's so much philosophical ideas out there on so many different things, and we get swayed to and fro from this philosophy that we're hearing. It's really quite interesting because that philosophy that we're hearing, sometimes it's just silly. People say, oh, you know what? I've heard one which was, hey, can God create a chili too hot for himself to eat? And it's like if you answer yes, then he's like, well, he's not all-powerful because he can't eat the hot chili. And if he says no, then he's not all-powerful because he can't make a chili. It's too hot for him to eat. And I'm like, that's just foolishness. But let's call it for what it is. It's ridiculous. How does that prove God? We think with our little intellectual brains that we can ask a philosophical question that throws God out the window. It's like, that's just foolishness. But we get caught up in this philosophical understanding, right? Well, what about human tradition? He warns that. That these traditions have been handed down and that's just the way it is. This is what I was told. And it's like, we need to bring our thoughts captive to Christ. What does the Bible tell us? You know, there was this one person who said, we know more today than Paul and the apostle and, and Peter the apostle. And I was like, what? He's like, oh, well, no, we know more than them. I'm like, you're telling me that you know more than Peter. You know Christ more than Peter that walk with him on a daily basis. You think because of all our knowledge, all our technology, we know him better? This is this human understanding of, oh, we're so much better now. We have so much better understanding of what really God meant. It's like, no, we just need to stay within what God really says. Stay within what the scripture says. And then he says the basic principle of this world. He's like, do what feels good. Do whatever feels good. That's the basic principle of the world, right? These days it's like, do whatever feels good. Whatever feels right, go ahead and do that. If it doesn't hurt anyone, just engage in that. Listen to your own desires. Really? Proverbs 14 talks into this. It says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. There's a way that seems right to us which is just do whatever you want. Engage in your own desires. But do we know that leads to death? At least a separation from God. You see, biblical belief says, no, I'm not being swayed by philosophy or traditions or worldly principles. 
I'm obedient to God and His Word. My allegiance is to Christ as the Lord. And I believe that God knows best for all of humanity. And humanity is sinful and broken. And my heart's deceitful unless it's actually redeemed by God through Christ. Jeremiah 17 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the hearts and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. This is so true for us today. The heart is deceitful above all things. We think that we can just engage in stuff and do whatever we want and that's not going to affect anyone. This is so true for us. How are we going with human wisdom as humanity? How are we going with human philosophy, with human traditions and the basic principles of the world? Not great. Basically the same as all of human history, right? There's still hatred, there's still wars, there's still murder, there's still adulteries, there's still theft, there's still sexual impurity, there's unrighteousness and sin and selfishness that's just rife and it's continued through each and every generation and it seems to be getting worse. Paul says, don't be deceived in believing any of that. Believe the truth. Believe in Jesus Christ. Commit allegiance to Him. You know that soldier I was talking to you about, when he said that quote, it's not about what I think. I believe and trust and obey the King. I was like, man, if only Christians would respond like that. If only Christians would have such allegiance to God. If only Christians would have such faith as this guy had. And this guy had faith in a tyrant. This guy had faith in a guy who went and murdered thousands of people. Why don't we as Christians have the same allegiance to Jesus, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, God Himself, who actually came and died for us, who actually came to serve us, not to be a tyrant? And Paul finishes the Colossians passage with this truth that Jesus is God. He says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought into that fullness. In Christ, the fullness of God is there. He is God in the flesh. He is fully human and fully man. And this is what the creed declares. And we've been brought into that family of God. We've been brought into that truth in Christ. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God because of Jesus Christ. That's the truth. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life in John 14. Jesus is the truth. This is what we believe. This is what the Apostle Creed sets out for us. The truth of the Christian faith. Not only truth for us, but the truth for all of humanity. You see, this statement, I believe, it really means something. When we recite the Apostles' Creed, we are reciting truth, declaring, this is what I believe. And when I say believe, I mean full faith, trust, and allegiance too. And we believe the gospel, right? Believe the good news of Jesus Christ that we find in John 3. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. You see, this is what we believe. This is what we declare. This is what we bring to the world and go, God didn't come to condemn the world. Jesus came to save the world, to redeem us back into relationship with Him. He didn't come to put you down. He came to lift you up. He came to adopt you back in. Through our sin, we've separated ourselves from God. None of us can stand before a holy and righteous God 
and think we can have relationship with this holy one. But Jesus is like, I'm going to come in the flesh. I'm going to let my own creation spit on me. I'm going to let my own creation mock me. I'm going to let my own creation beat me. I'm even going to let my own creation nail me to cross and murder me. Why? Love. Because he loved us so much. And believe is stated four times in these passages, four times the importance of true biblical belief. Church, biblical belief is the foundation of the gospel. It's the foundation of salvation. And the Apostles' Creed lays out our core beliefs, our biblical beliefs. It lays out what we have and who we have allegiance to. God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the good news of the gospel of Jesus who died for our sins and rose again. And all who believe receive eternal life. Thomas Fuller says, He does not believe who does not live according to his belief. Do we really believe? Because real belief brings change. Real biblical belief means that we come under the Lordship of our Lord Jesus Christ and we obey and we serve Him. So do you truly believe today is the question. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, I just I thank You so much for Your Word. Your word is full of truth. And Lord, may we come under your word. May we not put ourselves on the throne, but may we come under you. And Lord, for me, I just want to repent. And I know many of us here that we like to take that seat. We like to take the throne and, and do whatever we want. But God, you're seated on that throne. And Lord, we submit to you. So just in this moment, I just want to create a space for just a, a response. Maybe you're sitting there and you've never responded to Jesus. You've never put your faith and trust in Him. And I want you to know that, that God wants a relationship with you. That's why He sent His Son. That's what John 3 is all about. That God wanted to come and redeem you and restore you, bring you back into the family, give you a life and life to the fullness. So if that's you, if you want to put your faith and trust in the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. I just ask if you just put your hand up now. I'd just love to pray for you. You can do that now. And there's many of us here also that I just want to call to allegiance. Maybe you've been a Christian a long time. Maybe you've strayed a little bit. Maybe you just want to make a declaration. Jesus, you are my king. I am today declaring that I have allegiance to you, that I will follow you, that I will worship you all the days of my life. So I just ask if that's you, I just ask you to raise your hand. I'd love to pray for you as well. Thank you, Lord. Lord, you see those hands. I just thank you for people who are willing just to fully submit to you, God. To say, Lord, here I am. I declare that you are king. I declare that you are Lord, that I am not. I declare that all the days of my life, I will follow you and worship you, serve you, that you would be glorified. Lord, I pray in this moment that your Holy Spirit would come. Lord, would you empower those people? May they sense your presence. May they sense your grace. May they sense your power. That we would be light in the darkness, God. 
that people would see the shift, the change in us and actually want to come to know you as Lord, as Lord and Saviour. And we pray all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening to the New Life Podcast. If that stirred something within you or you'd like prayer, or maybe you want to join us in this mission of seeing more people, more like Jesus, you can contact us through our website, church.nu, or send us a message on our Instagram or Facebook pages. We pray that you have a great week. Be blessed.